Hi, it's episode 14 of First Principles, the leadership podcast from the Ken, where each fortnight we go inside the minds of some of India's best-known founders through reflective, expansive, and insightful conversations with them. I'm Rohan Dharmakumar, your host, and today we're speaking with Srikant Ayer, the co-founder and CEO of Homelane, one of the leaders in the online home interiors and furnishing space. In a rollicking conversation, Ayer takes us through his own personal school of hard knocks as an entrepreneur and how that shaped his views. From having to spend nearly two years trying to shut down his first business or selling his second business thrice over, or discovering in the very first year of Homelane that bad customer NPS scores don't always stop at zero. Instead, they turn negative. Ayer offers us a candid look at his eventful journey. Now, having raised over $100 million from multiple leading investors, he considers himself a great wartime general, but perhaps not a great peacetime one. In an expansive conversation that spans his three-decade career as a 4X founder, Ayer shows us how the path to entrepreneurial success often becomes clear in hindsight. Before that, you just have a series of unexpected choices and unintended consequences. Let's dive straight in. Srikanth, you graduated with an engineering degree in 1992 and got your first job at Wipro, if I'm not mistaken. And you lasted all of five months in that job. Actually, three. Three months? Yeah. Why? So, first of all, my claim to fame is that uh, I did my engineering degree along with uh, Mr. Anil Kumble. Uh, He did MEC, I did computer science same year. So, of course, he became slightly more uh, popular cricketer. Uh, I used to play uh, table tennis then. I played for Karnataka actually for four years during that time. Uh, graduated, got into Wipro after actually I did my postgrad for a year. Got into Wipro from there directly. I started this job at Wipro Systems. That's what it was called then. Um, a, it was a sales job. Um, I'd done computer what were you science. selling? I was selling software. I was a computer science engineer from RV, which was not bad college, a decent college. I happened to be from RV. Oh, great. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so started selling software uh, for uh, Wipro. Um, actually, the job was okay. But two things kind of um, bothered me. One was I didn't have the best boss in the world. Um, or to be very blunt, uh, he was pretty bad. So, I... Just didn't feel like I was in the uh, in the right place, right? Like people say, right? You don't work for a company; you work for your boss, kind of thing. So maybe I had bad luck then, but I could have probably, you know, uh, drawn it out, gone on to the next boss, etc. But something told me that if I was working as hard for myself, I'd probably be better off financially than working for somebody else. That thought always kept crossing my mind, saying. And I was 
really slogging it out. I mean, first few months, started training, started selling, had uh, serious targets, started to get some of those targets also. Um, and then I said, you know what, this is just not for me. Uh, think, and at that time, I also got an opportunity to just purely opportunistic that one of my good friends who had studied postgrad with me, he was very good at assembling computers. Uh, and, uh, you know, that time, branded computers were very expensive compared to assembled computers. Assembled computers basically was, you had smuggled parts which came in without paying duty, and so they were so cheap. And if you somebody could assemble a computer and give it to you, same quality, you get it at like 30-40% cheaper. So obviously, it's a lot of money. I started selling assembled computers. And uh, I got the first order even as I was working in Vipro. And the margin that I made of one computer was equal to one month's salary in Vipro. I said, you know what? I can sell one computer a month. I think I can do better than that. And uh, just made the jump. And uh, so all of three months there and uh, left. That's about it. After that, I worked for Pearson for about a year. Other than that, pretty much been on my own. So when you made that jump from a salary job at Wipro, which even back then was fairly well known, to deciding to assemble and sell computers on your own, I'm very curious when you quit Wipro, which even back then was a fairly well-known company and decided to start assembling and selling computers, what your family thought of it? Because you were leaving a fairly well-known company after yeah. an engineering degree to become what? A small-time businessman? Yes. Um, so first of all, <clears throat> they were not the happiest uh, parents in the world, for sure. But uh, the silver lining was that my dad uh, had been an entrepreneur. He had a small-scale industry, completely different space, industrial thinners, from 1970 onwards, so the year I was born. Um, so he um, didn't mind me becoming an entrepreneur, but he did mind me becoming an entrepreneur so, so quickly, uh, right? You know, just three months into, uh, because he probably thought that, you know, Wipro, great name, like you said, Worked there for like three to five years. And then if you feel like jumping, why don't you jump or maybe even do an MBA or something like that. But I was very clear saying that, you know, um, as long as my time is being paid for and paid for well, uh, and I can build uh, something which can last for some time, then I should probably concentrate on that. Frankly, at that point in time, my thinking was quite short-sighted. Not, not obviously not as mature as probably if I were to, to take a decision now, I would probably not give the same the same advice but, but to my son. But is it so? Would it not have been the, like, had Sometimes you not taken that decision? Sometimes I think it's an decision. advantage to not to be short-sighted. Sometimes, right? Because otherwise you can overthink things. You know, That's even right. now when you start off, people say, okay, especially ones who are salaried, right? They find it very difficult to make that jump because there are 100 things that they think about. I didn't have those problems. I was getting all of four and a half thousand rupees as salary from Wipro, which was not bad in 1993. Um, but still, uh, like I told you, I was making the similar amount of money selling one assembled computer. And I if said, I may you ask know, you, how hey, many how many computers did you sell? The in first month I sold ten. So I said, okay, I'm I'm so now done. My, my, my insurance is done, right? So I, I don't have to worry too much. Of course, the margins came down once the volumes went up because, uh, you know, I used to sell to institutions and stuff like that. But still, I mean, there was no comparison. I clearly, you know, was doing better monetarily, even though probably I would have learned a bit more in Wipro, I guess. But I also learned a lot being an entrepreneur, so no regrets. You're today the co-founder and CEO of Homelane. 
How would you describe what Homelane is in a line or two? So Homelane is the branded alternative for doing up your home, complete home interiors for the urban Indian middle class. So when you either buy a new house or when you want to renovate your house, your typical option, let's say 10 years ago, would have been to go to a contractor or a carpenter that you or your family or your friends circle know and get them to come and live in your house and do it. Uh, I started Homelane because I thought that there was an opportunity for a branded alternative which could bring predictability to this segment. Predictability in three facets, predictable quality, predictable budget and predictable timeline. So those were the three things that I said is clearly lacking in this segment. And that's the problem that we are still trying to solve with Homelane. How does Homelane make money? If you were to simplify its business model, how does it make money? So Homelane is a full service brand, a customer facing brand, which takes complete responsibility of the work. So it's like a, any other brand. It's like Godrej Interior as a brand, like it's an interior design brand. Homelane is similar. So it's not a marketplace where we introduce you to some XYZ and then we take we, we take a commission and we say, thank you. No, we are responsible for completing your work. My neck is on the line if your work is not done either in terms of quality or in budget or in timeline. If it is not done, you're very absolutely open to escalations to anybody at Homeland, including me. So that's the responsibility that we take. So we don't pass it on to somebody else. We are responsible. So we are like any other interior design brand that you would see in the country today. Um, our, how do we make money? Um, like everybody else does. So we have, we buy raw materials, we get it manufactured, we get it installed. And there is a gross margin uh, that we make for every uh, product that we sell. The difference in what we sell and what Typically, you know, let's take an urban ladder or a pepper fried us, is we only make customized furniture. We only make customized furniture. We do not make products. You will not see a chair or a table which is being made by us. We trade in those. We don't make those. So if you actually see the cycle, if you take the typical furniture companies that you would have probably heard of, at least in the e-commerce space, they first make the product and then they sell. In our business, it's exactly the reverse. First we sell and then we make the product. So there are some advantages and disadvantages. What are the advantages? I have zero inventory. Because if I'm only going to start making it after you decide your design. So I don't need to carry any inventory. Whereas in an inventory-led e-commerce model, you need to predict how many of these chairs I'm going to sell, how many of those tables I'm going to sell, how many dining tables I'm going to sell, how many cots I'm going to sell, and have that inventory with me. I don't need to do any of those things because everything is made, put together after the customer confirms the order. And people are willing to wait because it's a last ticket size purchase. That's the second advantage. Our ticket size ranges to somewhere around $10,000 today per house. Uh, whereas if you actually go to an e-commerce furniture player, it would be something more like $200 would be the average. And, and the typical lead time for like a $10,000 uh, spend, which is like, you know, from the time an order is placed to when it's completed would be roughly how long? It would be roughly about 12 weeks. Six weeks would be for the customer to decide and and iterate on the design of the house. 
and the rest of the six weeks would be for us to manufacture and get it installed in the house. And, and how does this happen? This iteration over design, it's through some kind of a proprietary platform that you run? Correct. So it's a combination of uh, digital stores, uh, which we have. Uh, we have 50 stores today across 22 cities where a customer can walk in and meet a designer or can meet a designer virtually on our platform. It's called Spacecraft, Crafting Space. That's why Spacecraft. And they can meet the designer and the designer will use Spacecraft to collaborate with the customer and design the customer's house with the customer's flow plan. So it's not done for generally some room. It's done for your flow plan. So it's very contextual. And the, the designer uses Spacecraft to design it for you and gives you a quote. That's your first quote. After that, you take your time, you decide, and then the, the designer will visit your house, take actual measurements. What happens in floor plans in India, is, at least, is there's a difference between what's there in the floor plan and what actually uh, comes to you. So we make sure that that difference is eliminated, get the actual measurements done, and then freeze on the colors, uh, the uh, you know all the functionality of the furniture, and then we start manufacturing it. I know that in this space that you operate in, there have also been models where the platform essentially becomes like uh, merely a conduit for other, um, I think, designers to come and offer their services. and Marketplace model. A marketplace, Pure marketplace model, model, right? model. But you're saying that you chose consciously to not go in that direction yeah. and to do everything. What do you give up in the process and what do you gain in the process? So my main intent was to solve the problem. I didn't want to pass on the problem to somebody else. What's the problem? The problem is lack of predictability, like I told you, right? No predictable quality, no predictable budget and no predictable timeline. If I'm going to introduce the customer to A, B or C, that problem is not going to go away. Still that A, B or C is going to shortchange the customer may or very high chance that he or she is going to shortchange the customer and does, that you're going to have a very seriously unhappy customer on your hands. And by the way, not only that, because you introduce them to the vendor, the customer will blame you also for it, right? If, you, if it's on your marketplace. So A, I said, this is a complicated problem to solve as far as the last mile is concerned. So it needs to be done by somebody who's taking the responsibility of getting the job done, not by just introducing people and taking a commission and walking out of the place. That's the first this one. The advantage of doing something like this is twofold. One, obviously, is that because you're doing the hard work, you can get the juice, which means that you can get the gross margins of the business. And the, believe you me, the gross margins in this business are very good. Broadly, this business has gross margins. If I just take COGS, cost of goods sold, manufacturing cost, your gross margin is about 50%, which is not bad at all. Um, that's one great thing. The second great thing is you can actually build a very nice, trusted, lovable, consumer-facing brand, uh, which you can't with a marketplace. I mean, pretty much with a marketplace, you won't be known for, you know, uh, uh, you know, unless customers are really happy, like, for example, a Flipkart or any other marketplace that we know. But that is not possible in this, in my opinion, because the last mile execution is so tough that mostly people will fail and then you are going to be loaded with that failure on your head if you are a marketplace. All right. I'll come to some more questions about how you entered into this space later. But first, I've got a quick set of questions about Home Lane, the company. How old is the company? It's eight years and six months old. How many employees does it have right now? 2,200. 
and what's its revenue uh this year march uh, another month and a half from now uh we will end up with about 600 crores of revenue uh we're doing on an average about um, about 700 crores on an average run rate now but for this because we've been growing this year uh, we will end up this financial year uh, with about 600 crores of revenue how fast have you been growing the last few years the interesting question and i'll give you um, a slightly longish answer um we have one of the few companies who didn't have a degrowth year du- during covid and it's credible simply because we are in a consultative selling business nobody buys a kitchen or a wardrobe uh, walking into a store or uh, clicking o- online right they want to iterate on the design they want to talk to a designer they want to consider four five different aspects they'll even talk to four five different vendors before they because it's a large ticket size purchase because we had spacecraft we managed to avoid degrowth in any year simply because even when we were in lockdown during the first wave and during delta wave uh, we managed to meet customers purely virtually and told customers only during those 3 3 months what we did was we came up with an easy booking policy we said hey you know what you're sitting at home pretty much twiddling your thumbs you're not doing anything why don't you spend time with our designer no no obligations spend time design your house if you like the design pay 5% and book the book the order when whenever lockdown is lifted we give you two weeks after that whenever it's lifted within the two weeks you have every right to come and cancel it no questions asked you will get a 100% refund if you like it you're saving time on designing designing is going to take you a month so why are you wasting time what percentage of the customers who signed up for this actually stayed okay i'll i'll come to that <laughs> but the first wave okay at that time we were doing about 45 crores of orders coming in every month the first wave i was shocked we did 20 crores a month without meeting a single customer a month for the first 3 months in delta wave which if you remember rohan was far more devastating for us and everybody yeah. was running scared we did 30 crores a month and so we did 90 crores in that 3 months of lockdown so i said hey this is not too bad we used usually have a cancellation rate we used to have pre covid of 3% because in ours nobody will come and book it's as like i told you 10000 dollar ticket size 7 8 lakh ticket size nobody will come unless they 100% sure we had a 3% cancellation rate post covid that's gone up to double 6% still manageable i mean it's nowhere near e-commerce rates of whatever 20 22% or something like that so when you manage to retain that level of business even with cities being in lockdown for 3 months did that not make you for a minute wonder if there is something that you could do to kind of continue with that and reduce your physical costs we absolutely do that now so pre covid 6% of our orders oh, by the way spacecraft is was not done during covid spacecraft is been around for 5 and 1/2 years now so 3 years into the business we had spacecraft bam up 6% of our orders pre covid used to come virtually today 20% of our orders come virtually so people are more receptive now but they still want a touch and feel because it's a large ticket size again you know um it's not like a garment where you know okay you you know that it's a cotton or, or whatever is the finish and you like the color and you can just click and buy it's, it's a 2000 rupee purchase maybe but it's a little more complicated than that so people are still wanting to touch and feel before buying but still 20% is not bad i mean um, like i said uh, today we're doing about 55 60 crores a month 
and uh, so about getting about 10 12 crores uh, 11 12 crores is uh, not bad at all so just to understand that when you say 20% of orders are attributed to virtual orders what does that mean they originate through your website and never make physical contact what does it really mean the 20% so um, actually uh, 80% of all our orders originate digital all our orders 10% of them are referrals which means that happy customers are referring other customers 10% of them are offline, we, you know, through builders and uh, others who give us leads. So offline. In that 80%, 70% is uh, paid and 30% is, uh, uh, you know, SEO. Uh, basically, uh, no cost to us. Uh, what I mean by this is amongst all of these, 20% of them do not meet us at all before placing the order. Uh, that's what I mean by saying they are purely virtual. The other 80% still prefer to meet us before this, by the way, during the lockdown was 100% because there was no chance of meeting anybody. So uh, at that time, it is more forced. And that's what I said, right? We had the easy booking policy. Now we don't have them. Now we have gone back to our old uh, old policy. If you want to come, you can please walk into a showroom and then confirm it. So just sticking with this 20%, you said those people have placed an order without ever meeting physically. anyone um, from your company physically. Does that mean that lasts through execution or at some point do they end up uh, meeting a designer or like visiting you a store? You have no choice but to meet once you book the order because the designer will come with you to your house and take measurements and uh, do design iterations. So you will meet. This is still what we call order booking, where you pay a significant amount of money. You pay some between 45,000 and 50,000 rupees for booking your order. What changed? What has changed in the minds of a consumer that they are now 20% of them, which is, a, which is not insignificant number, are comfortable making such a big investment without physically interacting with any of your employees or stores? What has changed in the mind? Two things in my mind, broadly. One is, uh, we have delivered 30,000 homes so far. So we have also become a reasonable brand, if I may say so myself, um, who is better known than we were uh, five years ago or three, even three years ago. Point number one. Point number two, I think COVID has taught us many things, including working from home, being perfectly okay. Uh, so people are reasonably comfortable as long as they know uh, that this company uh, is going to uh, keep their promise and deliver whatever we promised. Uh, people are okay with uh, booking the order uh, without uh, meeting somebody physically. I think we've all become slightly better there, right? I mean, um, and I think uh, our consumers are no different. How much of venture capital have you raised till date? Um, I have totally raised $105 million so far, out of which about $85 million has been in primary and $20 million has been in secondary. Secondary has been mostly for older investors who invested like six, seven, eight years ago, um, who have taken exits. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, 85 million of primary money. And what was your most recent valuation? Last round, uh, we did uh, close to about 300 million, uh, which was just uh, in the end of 2021. How old are you? I am 52. We mentioned before we met, you mentioned that you have two grown kids. Do you want yeah. to tell us about like, you know, your family? Yeah. Uh, so uh, my wife works in an attic. Um, so, you know, we still have a tech hangover in the fam hangover in the family, at least. 
she writes content she writes likes to write uh, do instructional design what we call instructional design so she writes content for kids from grade 1 uh, to grade 5 <clears throat> she's uh, i keep joking that she works twice as hard as i do and i get a complex uh, whenever i get up but uh, i think i get up early which is at like 5:30 to walk the dog she's already finished one or two hours of work so i said hey you know what i i are you sure you want to do this to me and i'm feeling making me feel guilty <laughs> i'm the one who's supposed to be running a company with 2000 plus people uh, but uh, she works very very hard so she loves her work actually so that's her um we have i have two sons 24 years and 19 years uh, my 24 year old just got his first job during covid so he's just finished about a year in his first job and uh, nobody is as surprised as me that he's still keeping his job uh, he works in leeds uh, he is uh, he did political science i decided that uh, i would do to my kids what i couldn't get which is that give them a choice to do whatever they wanted after their 12th so my elder son wanted to do political science so he did political science both undergrad and masters in uh, sciences po in uh, paris and uh, like i said first job in uh, leeds now so that's him second one is doing his uh, undergrad in economics at nyu right now you just said that i want to give them the choice that i never got take us back to when you had done your class 12th i assume and you enrolled in engineering what happened back then so i mean you know that era it was just you know you either become a doctor or you become an engineer there was no third option i mean uh, if you you could go to so commerce was it really a lack arts. of options or was it not been given the choice by your parents which pretty one was much, it pretty much the latter uh, i am from a typical tambram family as you could probably make out by my name so either you become an engineer or a doctor or a nobody i mean really that's the third option pretty much right so i was clear i didn't want i didn't like biology at all in fact even i did my 11th and 12th in st joseph's uh, arts and science in bangalore i didn't even take bio as my fourth subject so i kind of cut out one one path there so there was only one path left which was engineering my i have an older brother he also was an engineer so pretty much uh, i uh, took um, i mean i preferred to do computer science because it seemed uh, 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 more set for my what i thought was more logical thinking brain which finally ended up wrong but still <laughs> um and um, i like i said used to play table tennis i did really badly in my 12th i got 60% in my 12th i still remember my marks pcm was 66 57 and 57 and um i was not proud but i had played for karnataka for 4 years and uh, it managed to give me long story short a computer science engineering seat in uh, rvc which uh, was very very difficult to get at that point in time so i grabbed it and um, still played first two years of engineering i continued to play um lost one subject in my first year lost two subjects in my second year and then i said okay now i have to decide whether i want to continue to play all my life or uh, not play so i decided that i'll stop playing uh, so i stopped and did reasonably better in the third and fourth year but yeah that was my path into uh, quote and quote computer science engineering which was pretty much what i still get racked about at home sports quota seat <laughs> but I I think it's a it's a very interesting point that you make it's not as discussed in India but in the west especially in the US it is a very legitimate 
uh, route to the Ivy League colleges, which mm-hmm. is if you're great at sports. I mean, it's it's considered yeah. like a perfectly not just valid but like honorable way. But here, like you said, it's considered like you know you gotten through <laughs> another route which was not meant to be. Yeah. Tell us about like your you you graduated. We 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 talked about how you graduated and you entered Wipro. Then you decided to assemble computers. Then what happened after that first year of assembling computers? So what actually, was your career? Business did reasonably well for the first few years. Um, I managed to get quite a few institutional customers who used to buy regularly from me, um, and uh, it was a good business. I had about at about nineteen ninety seven or so. Uh, I was doing about six crores of business at that time. Six crores was, was reasonable turnover. Uh, per year, of course, and uh, I had about a dozen people working with me. Uh, small office, very happy with myself. Got married, had my first son, nineteen ninety-eight. So everything was going well. Uh, and then I saw the end of the road for this business simply because duties got slashed, and the difference between a branded computer and an unbranded one started shrinking and shrinking, shrinking. So. In other words, actually, even now, a decent uh, base desktop then used to cost about thirty to forty thousand rupees. Even now, if you take a laptop which is decent, base level ones, it will be somewhere in that range, maybe fifty k, but you know, somewhere in that range. Initially, like I told you, I used to make four to five thousand rupees on on each box, which was about ten percent of the money. Started shrinking and shrinking, started becoming five hundred rupees per box. So the risk became very high because this business also was done in credit. You used to get credit from suppliers and you used to give credit to customers. So in the in five years back in ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, I could afford to do it because one in hundred customers don't pay, you're not going to die. But here, if you're making one percent margin or somewhere around one and a half percent margin, if one customer doesn't pay, you're done. Right, so I said, you know, this is not going to uh, last forever. I need to start thinking of doing other stuff. So I did two things. One, I decided that I would stop in uh, dealing uh, and selling computers. So I said, sales, I'll stop. I'll stick to service. I'll stick to what we call AMCs and ASCs, maintenance and service contracts. Which I had a good installed base by then, and I had a reasonable. In the name of the company was called Total Solutions, so I said, "Okay, I'm going to just do that." And I decided to wind the sales down to zero. It was easier said than done. Like I just told you, everything used to run on credit, so I needed to get a few crores from the market. I needed to give a few crores to my suppliers. It took me three years to wind it down, and um, I they took the decision finally in two thousand. And by the time I actually wound it down, it was two thousand two, two thousand three, and thankfully I had a decent reputation with my suppliers that nobody came home and nobody bothered me and stuff like that. But I uh, and they waited patiently for the two two and a half years uh, for me to pay them back. I could never have done it uh, by myself. I had not made that kind of money uh, to kind of. So yeah, so that was uh, 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 the decision that I took. Coincidentally, in two thousand, as I was clear that I would want to wind this business down, I got a call from a very good friend, 
and um, the one of the uh, people who runs uh, PES uh, University today, uh, Mr. Jawahar, uh, is a good friend, old friend of mine, again from my table tennis days. He used to play table tennis with me in my club. He called me. He said, hey, Srikanth, you know what? I've got a good idea. I, 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 and I think I want to start this business. I want you to come and start this with me. Um, the idea was simple. Uh, he used to run a college, PES, uh, which was up and coming college. People wanted to come there. It was in the top, let's say, 5% in Karnataka. His point was, how many people can't get into my college? Why are they being deprived of this quality of education? Is there a way that I can use technology to bridge that gap? So basically, can I take the best teacher to the last student? That was the thought. I thought it was a nice thought and uh, it had a nice impact angle also to it. So I jumped right in. Um, I 26th of Jan, I still remember in 2000, uh, on Republic Day, we made our first pitch um, to uh, Angel VC during the dot-com boom days. And uh, in one hour after our pitch, our man turns around and said, yes, I'm in. I'm signing a check for four crores. Now start the company. And uh, we were, nobody was more shocked than us because we didn't expect him to say yes in, first of all, in such An a short angel period of time. offering to invest four crores after a first presentation based on just an idea would still be a pretty out, good outcome Fantastic even today. Outcome. Fantastic outcome. No, but... You know, you must remember that this was not the charm of Srikanth Iyer or anything like that. It was playing. It was PES. It was uh, the whole university behind it and uh, Jawahar and, uh, you know, all of that. So there was a lot of um, gravitas in the pitch simply because of that background. Uh, so it was just not some entrepreneur who came up with, you know, an idea and saying, oh, yeah. I'm so gonna... what was this business? Would it be educational videos? Would it be an app? That's what we started with. So we said, uh, you know what, we would take the best teachers, record them, and put them on to CD-ROMs, um, you know, get the best textbooks, uh, license them, put them on to the same CD-ROM. What more do you want? You're the best textbook, you're the best teacher explaining the concept in the best textbook. People will just lap it up. Nothing like that happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, this realized that the model was totally wrong, that the model that we were going about it was totally wrong because of two, three reasons. One, teachers were not universal in terms of appeal or in terms of accent or in terms of ability to teach also. There was this Professor R.K. Jagdish in Baswangudi who was fantastic in physics. I mean, there used to be an entrance exam to get into his tuition. That popular, right? But very heavy, thick, local accent. So if I have to put him on a one-hour video and sell that in Delhi, they couldn't understand whether he was speaking English or some other language, first of all. It was like that bad. So we said, hey, this is not going to work. Two, I mean, we obviously miscalculated, uh, you know, the, the attention spans. Nobody in their right mind wanted to watch one hour of even Amitabh Bachchan talking, right? If they, you need to serve them, you needed to serve them in bites and we missed that bus somehow. We, we had these videos which were like long, like one hour, 30 minutes. To be fair, this is before yeah, we before. knew all of this as conventional wisdom, gamification, okay. bite-sized content, all of that. We were at the cusp. I, I can't say that 
we should have been probably uh, which is what we did so when we remodeled i'll probably come to that but uh, but yeah so those that was the the second mistake the third mistake was we calculated very wrongly on the tam so our the, the target audience the total addressable market the total audience was people who had pcs at home and 2% of india had pcs at home way back in 2001 2002 and in that 2% people who are going to be studying in we we had come up with products for 9th 10th 11th and 12th so that's 2% and then divide that by another whatever and then people who could afford to pay 1000 2000 3000 rupees per subject and buy cd rom which was a completely new way of learning and fourth people who would believe in this and you know uh, stop sending the kids to kids who not have time to go to tuition and to do this so you had to stop one to so all of that put together the time was minuscule pretty much and that we realized a little late by the time we had the kind of made all the products and put in the markets how gone many, on tv how many years two years gone on tv and all of that and ran out of money all of that and then we realized we didn't have a pmf Uh, I mean, what I know today as PMF at that time, I didn't even know what it was called. Fit. Yeah, the product market fit. What was your pivot? Because I know that you spent that business, your edtech business, that what you spent yeah. what ten years, thirteen years, fourteen yeah, 14 14 years. years. Yes. So what did you so, do? So, so this this was the first two years, and then we realized that this was not okay. So I had a thought at that point in time. Okay, by the way, uh, we. three of us were trying to run it probably we were three co-founders of that business um, we were probably trying to run it in three different directions kind of so we decided for whatever reasons that one person would run it and i drew the short straw so i was the one chosen to uh, run the business so i said okay um i had to do a lot of tough things uh, i had to let go because we had run out of money we were not we didn't have too much revenue coming in and all of that so i let go 75% of our workforce 75% So the revenue on. was strictly speaking only from customers who were paying you for your for CD-ROMs, CDs which we were selling them. So I said this is not going to happen. Um so I I cut down workforce uh, significantly and then st- restarted thinking about what am I going to do about the product. I said this product doesn't work. You're still mean, in your 20s. Uh, late 20s. Yeah, uh, uh just turned 30. All right. Just turned 30. Um and no background in running any education business if i may add so i started thinking about india is going to take time to adopt edtech to be in the mainstream which means that you know people start doing this rather than going to school or tuition extra tab tak ke liye what do i do i mean how do i survive how do i make this business work i said let me become a very strong ancillary product to some other product What does India have? I said, why am I always thinking of low TAM? There are only two percent percent penetration in that. How many are nine, ten, ten? I said, let me think of what is the strength that India has. The strength that India has, we all know, population volume. Why? How can I ride on that and make this business work? So the first thought I had was, let me go to people for whom I am a very good value add. First thought that came was PCs. So I went to Intel, who were also headquartered that time in actually yeah. not too far from here. I went to them, and I said, "Hey, Intel, I have something very interesting for you to combine with your home PC. By the way, McKinsey had produced 
study just then, which said that home PC penetration in India is increasing at some XX percent rate. The number one reason for anybody to buy a home PC is education. By the way, then the number one reason before you buy is education. After you buy, education becomes number six. But till you're selling, it does not matter, right? You Your intent is to sell the product. So I said, uh, today you're selling an empty coffee cup without no, no coffee in it. I'll give you like hot steaming coffee. And I'll t not only that, I will give you the coffee that the customer wants. One guy wants uh, CBSC, I'll give you CBSC. He wants ICSC, I'll give you ICSC. If you want something else, uh, Karnataka State Board, I'll give you Karnataka State Board. You sell it with it, you have a better chance of selling the cup rather than uh, not. They loved it. But I said, every PC that you sell, you have to give me 200 rupees. Every PC that you sell. That's like, I'm giving you, a, it's like, like today's SaaS, uh, but I had to give them a physical copy simply because that time couldn't stream like uh, MBs and MBs of content. They really liked it. And they got three OEMs to sell this for me across the country. Uh, HCL. And that time there was Sahara Computers, if you remember, yes. and LG Computers. These three started selling it. I sold like 100,000 copies in like two, eight weeks. I said, man, this works. And I started talking then. And then I said, okay, this seems to be working. Achha, by the way, I changed my product strategy by then. Didn't, didn't focus on that. So from being lectured and textbook e-copies, e I had made what we call reusable learning objects. Today, it's very common, right? Two to three minute videos or animations, maximum three minutes. But very, very small, snackable content. Atomic sizes of content, which Correct. you can recombine. Yes. And I could use the same for CBSC and for ICSC and for State Board. So simple uh, logic. And the voiceovers, by the way, one of the claim to fame I also have is uh, uh, Ricky Cage used to compose music for you right then. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah, his, his studio was actually again somewhere in Dranaga. Anyway, um, that's again, I mean, of course, now I can say it's claim to fame. He was not as popular then as he is now. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so we did all of that. Uh, we got neutral voiceovers. Like I told you, voiceover was a problem otherwise for all this content and started having products from first grade to 12th grade for pretty much all the subjects in that two, three years time. I had skipped about two, three years, right? This started in about 2005. By the time I could get to this position. So once Intel bit and, and it became popular, I said, hey, this is working. I must think of other areas which actually can benefit from education as an add-on. The next natural thing that I could think of was textbooks. So India has about 250 million children going to school. Approximately each one of them uses about four textbooks, approximately. That's about a billion textbooks. About 50% of them are hand-me-downs. That's about 500 million. 500 million new textbooks are printed every year. I said, that is great volume. If you could ride on that. If I could ride on that. So I went to the top 10 book publishers. Uh, I went Frank Brothers, S. Chan. I'm sure you've heard of all these names and read these textbooks. I went to them with a very simple proposition. I, in fact, bought all their books. I got my team to map our digital content to the subtopics in their books with their logo and their... So basically, white-labeled it. 
stuck the CD in the textbook. Stuck it. Yeah, I remember last pages would typically have, have a that sleeve. That was our innovation. So took the book without the CD. Took the book with the CD. I said, hey, you're selling this at hundred rupees. It was pretty much about hundred rupees then. If you could sell this for hundred and thirty rupees, how would you feel? And that time, the quote unquote perceived value of a textbook, I mean, sorry, of a CD-ROM was about four hundred to five hundred rupees. So, I said the wow factor is the teacher who's evaluating. A teacher only evaluates. No student is going to decide which thing. Will say, "Arey Baba, thirty rupees ke liye I am getting like five hundred rupees worth. Why will I not take it?" That was my bet. Frank Brothers loved it. and within like 2 weeks i had a contract believe you me i started with giving by giving it to them at 22 rupees a cd rom the content ip was mine i said i will not give you ip because i wanted to sell to everybody right i didn't want to sell only to one publisher but i'll give you white label and minimum you have to give me so many lakhs of copies which they could easily underwrite i gave it to them at 22 rupees at that time moser buyer was manufacturing on cd at 6 rupees 50 paisa Fantastic gross margins. Yes, I had to do some development work, Correct. but एक बार कर लिया then I can. It's royalty business. It's like you know you're publishing and then you're getting royalty every year. It was great. So much so, Rohan, that we got acquired by a competitor, Pearson, who was another publisher. About five seven years from then, even after that, Frank Brothers couldn't stop buying the CD from us. He said, "Your Pearson, it's okay. Please give me CD because I can't now stop that product." So. it became a very powerful integrated product which That's really worked for them and for us i, I just want to take a minute yeah. uh, to just you know recap this this method that you've mentioned of trying to become an ancillary product to something else that already exists at scale and you managed to do that multiple times over uh, is that something that you've carried over beyond edtech to other parts of your this thing because it's a very powerful done right it allows you to immediately scale your distribution and reach absolutely absolutely no i'll tell you right they say that necessity is the mother of all invention we would have died otherwise as a company we didn't have revenues we forget profits we were just looking to how are we going to grow this business and then we found this distribution model where I don't. My sales cost is zero. I mean, other than my business development cost, which is me going and selling, basically, it was zero. But you know what? I still haven't finished. I'll give you the icing on the cake. I was still not happy with the volumes. I was getting about about a million out of the five hundred million. It's not bad, but uh, a year. In two three years, I start getting that. But before I said, how do I get even more volumes? And what is the biggest? Volume, what's more than PCs? What's more than books? Books. What schools? No. FMCG, right? Hmm. So I started thinking, you know, why not go to mother and child focused brands? I went to Britannia. You know, Britannia's tagline even today. I'll give you a second. I'll tell you, it's eat healthy, think better. Ah, that's right. Right. ईट हेल्दी ठीक है यार तुमको ग्लूकोज व्लूकोज बिस्किट देते हैं ईट हेल्दी थिंक बेटर के लिए क्या करते हो कुछ नहीं करते हो यू डोंट डू एनीथिंग एक्चुअली स्पीकिंग इवन टुडे ब्रिटानिया खाओ वर्ल्ड कप जाओ कैंपेन बिकॉज ओके बाय दास्ट यू वन मोर पॉप क्विज हाउ मेनी पैकेट ऑफ बिस्किट दैट ब्रिटानिया डज ब्रिटानिया सेल अ डे इन इंडिया टूडे अप्रोक्सिमेट अ डे 
packets biscuit packets i got it uh, i'm guessing it's of the order of tens of thousands 1 crore packs wow a day mm. that's the volume we're talking about mm. right but the pack itself is about 8 rupees or 9 million. rupees on average so that's the the downside is that that's the average value but the volume is there so i went to i went to uh who else did i go to uh, these um conflicts kellogs dimag chalega nahi daudega i don't know if you remember this campaign that was the campaign then i said i will give you stuff which will really make the you know the dimag run right i'll give you a cd you can drop it in your box when anybody hmm. buys you will get this as a promo just give me the volume how do you do with the biscuits i understand dropping a cd into a pack of cereal no the biscuits but... i had a different idea so just like world cup jao britannia ka world cup jao you accumulate points and once you have like consumed let's say 20 packs you will get enough points to get one cd and then you keep getting that i mean that's the only way yeah. to do it they didn't buy it by the way i went to 18 brands i mean i i can't tell you i've met everyone holics monvita i and i met the top decision makers they mm. loved the idea they all of them said fantastic but the logistics nobody has what yeah. they say no, no the logistics no pc penetration my customer holics simple my customer today is sccb they don't have he doesn't thing. have a pc at home so. i don't want to insult him by giving him a cd which he can't use i said no it's not that i said it's the parent who keeps education at a pedestal that you can't imagine today they will find access to a pc which was almost my um, but nobody bought it the 19th person bit and again i'll tell you it's a very unlikely brand who would have combined education hindustan unilever bought bought this there was a gentleman called manish agarwal uh, who's the same manish agarwal who was running 24 24 into 7 games online which went public mm. and he just moved out now recently if you know he used to run a brand called rin i went to manish i told manish and he was going somewhere he said i have 5 minutes what's your pitch i said mother is the primary decision maker for child's education you were uh, i mean i must say this right you're just going and making this pitch to rin which is like yeah. a detergent yeah. to biscuit makers to yeah. pc makers to book makers yeah. but i must say it's commendable how you've managed to pitch the same product as a unique fit yeah. to a bunch of different like but you it know disconnected it is a fantastic fit if you actually look at it i'll tell you what happened so i told him you know what mother is the decision maker for fabric wash in the family mother is also decision maker for most of the times i mean uh, I, I'm sorry. It does sound a bit, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, gender uh, uh, sensitive, but that's what it is in India, right? We can't run away from that. Mothers also the decision maker for education. Pretty much, our mothers used to say, "Yara homework kya kya, ye pada kya," you know, pretty much. At least most. Why are you bundling a blue bucket or a white bucket with rain? Bundle education. This was my pitch to him. He said, "Arey, this is." this is new i have not heard something like this let's talk and then we spoke he finally bundled it we even got an award for the most out of the box promo the next year because nobody had bundled with fabric wash educational cd rom and this was i'm talking in 2006 mm. right and um, we sold lakhs and lakhs of copies so i'll give you typically and it worked for rin and i'll tell you normally they bundle bucket 
even today. When they do that, they get a 20% uplift typically in the volume because they're bundling a bucket. And normally this bundle is, if you're normally buying one kilo, if you buy two kilos only, you'll get this one. So they're trying to push. With us, the same thing they did. Two kilos, you get the CD-ROM. But they got a 33% uplift, uplift. So it also worked for them. And the key differentiator was we did a closed user group study before launching it. Money should never do anything else. In Mailapur, Chennai, of all the most conservative of places, the exact point that I made came out, which was that mother said, I don't have a PC at home, but I have access to a PC. My father's house has a PC. My husband's office has a PC. My neighbor's house has a PC. I don't want one gram of silver coin, which was the alternative. I want education CD. If this can help my child become better, get more marks, I would definitely go for this. I can always get silver coin anytime. And that sealed it. I think that also captures the immense power of the edtech opportunity in India, yeah. which is really this all-consuming desire among Indian parents, parents to make sure that their children have the best possible education, no matter what. Absolutely. Right. And this has been, this has been clear even in um, public schools versus private schools. Uh, 50 years ago, 4% used to go to private schools. I have not checked in the last five years. Five years ago, 60% go to private schools. And by the way, as we all know, government schools are free. So a paid service is being preferred to a free service simply because the parents think that that's their way uh, for aspirational life. growth. You spent 13 years at EduRight and then it was acquired by Pearson and you spent another year there. That was 14 years in the space of edtech, much before edtech became so popular <laughs> as it was and then before, of course, became notorious. What happened after that? So, um, actually, uh, we got acquired twice. Um, I, achha, by the way, I must tell you, uh, I must have the notoriety of being the only person who sold a business not once, not twice, but three times. Let me just explain. Tudor Vista became my customer in 2005. 2007, they made an offer to acquire us. So we merged with Tudor Vista, but I continued as uh, part of the team running the business. Pearson um, invested in us in 2011 and acquired us fully in 2013. I decided that I will continue by being an employee. Uh, I was the CEO for the India business uh, 2013 for about a year and a half, like you said. So they, they acquired 100% of the business. So that was the second acquisition. Um... Fast forward another three years, uh, I had already started Homelane, but 2007, I was still in touch with the Pearson folks and friendly with them, etc. 2017, they decided that they wanted to sell that business for whatever reason. The one that they acquired? The one that they acquired, part of the business, not fully, part of it. There were three or four parts, the one part of it they wanted to sell. And um, so what happened? They asked me whether I could find somebody. And so in 2017, I found somebody who was none other than uh, Baiju, uh, who acquired that part of the business. Uh, and uh, so the same business I sold to him and before that sold to Pearson and before that sold to Ganesh Chuda Vista. So, uh, so yeah, so stayed in the business for about 14 and a half years. After 14 and a half years, I think I developed some kind of what I call a, a tech fatigue. I said, you know what, I have struggled with this problem for a long time. I've I mean, make no mistake, I'm equally happy and proud of some of the innovations that we've done along the way, but 
I think I wanted to challenge uh, myself with something different. And uh, there were two paths in front of me. It was very clear. One was do one more tech, which I knew. And I had some inkling of the market of the business. And then or do something totally different. I think the attraction of something which was totally uncharted and totally different uh, was very, very too strong for me. Um, and I also felt a genuine cons consumer need in the home interior space. I didn't see any brand. How did you come across those? Was this was this arising from personal experience or did you have some kind of a method to look at opportunities when you were considering where to go towards? Um, so there were three parts to this. One was about uh, two years before I started Home Lane. I had uh, gotten up uh, one or two homes done, had a terrible experience then. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would go and try and solve this problem. But I just filed it away saying, I'm still not getting any predictable output here. Why is this so bad? Why can't there be a brand? I can just blindly go sign up and they do everything and, you know, give me the key and I'm, I'm happy. They're happy. I'm spending 10 lakhs. I'll spend 11 lakhs. I'm okay with it. But let me at least give me a good outcome. And there was no brand at that time. I didn't. That was one just filed away. My co-founder came up with this thought saying, you know what? People, when they buy homes, they have to do wardrobes. They have to do kitchens. Why don't we kind of make that a branded play and go and solve that problem? That basically came from him. The, the, third, the third component was I saw that the existing players had not scaled much. Godrej Interior was doing homes. They do still do steel kitchens. They do offices, furniture. They do kids' furniture, products, cots, this, that, you know, bunk beds and all of that. There was five, 600 crores of revenue, which I thought for the size of India was very small. I said, there is a play here. The third, then I did, I would when started doing first-hand research. Because I was in education for so long, I had a lot of contact with builders. Why builders? Because they all ran schools or colleges at some point in time in their life. So I knew many of them. I went and met three, four of them. I said, hey, this is the problem statement. Is this problem statement real or am I smoking something? Please tell me, you know. Most of them told me that I am, I am on to something. Or at least they felt that I was on to something. Saying, huh, there is nobody who's pan-India doing something like this. Then I said, okay, then I'll, let me try and solve the problem. And started off with one experience center in um, Bangalore, near Richmond Circle. And uh, yeah, had a had lot of learning curves in the first one year. But after that, I haven't looked back. What happened in the first one year? So the first one year was very interesting. Um, I had like a very steep learning curve. I thought this was a crying customer need and I was right about it, which means that customers were looking for one neck to catch, one person to solve all the interior problems, somebody who will do, uh, you know, plumbing and carpentry and electrical and flooring and everything, painting. And each of, of these means that there are 10 different, different things skills, that can go wrong. skills of blue-collared workers. I said, yeah, why not? And we started taking orders. Chappar, fadke orders we were getting. We got like first few So you months. raised some angel funding? Ah, we raised angel with? funding. Sequoia was there. 
Aaron Capital, we raised Series A of four and a half million dollars. That time came to twenty-seven crores. Um, this was two thousand fifteen, early two thousand fifteen. Six months after we started, pretty much, not too long. So great, fantastic stuff. Very happy orders flowing in, and then I realized that this was the most difficult in terms of execution. I mean, every different skill you add. The execution complexity goes up exponentially; it doesn't go up linearly. And I said, "Man, this is what I've landed myself into. I wanted to set right the industry and make customer experience better. I was doing exactly the opposite. The experience that we were giving to our customers was worse than what they would have got with carpenters. And I said, this is exactly the the worst thing that can happen." And I pretty much went into some sort of a depression for some time because I said, I'm, and I couldn't even know how to solve the problem. We had we used to get requests like saying, you know, my son loves music. Can you you're making a cot for us? Can you make the cot in the shape of a piano? I didn't know where to start, but that order has already been taken now by my sales guy. Now I have to execute that order. It what I thought would take us two weeks used to take us three months. And cost me two x of what I thought it would cost. So first of all, I was not making money. Second of all, I had a very severely unhappy customer. By the way, I've always taken net promoter score from our customers from day one because I said if I'm going to change the game, I have to measure if I'm changing the game or not. So I used to take NPS. NPS was minus twenty seven, and that's the first time I I knew that NPS could be negative. I thought zero was the worst that you could go to, and and anyway, so I was. I was flummoxed, basically, and then I chanced upon this book, Rohan. I I chanced upon this book called Uncommon Service. It's a HBS authored book by this uh, lady professor called Frances Frey. She's right now on the uh, global board of uh, WeWork currently, but she used to teach at Harvard then. And she had, she's written this book along with uh, one more person. and the book is very clear it says if you are in the service delivery business you cannot be great at everything that you do meaning you can't give the best price and the best service and the best quality and the best timing and if you try to do everything the best at best you will be mediocre at everything that's the premise so it says pick couple of things that are very important to your customer and also pick couple of things where you necessarily will be bad at because unless you are bad at two things you'll never be great at a couple of things which really matter to your customer so if you think that you can be average at this very good at something and fantastic at something else won't happen you have to necessarily be so the theory is you necessarily need to be bad at something in your business or at least understand great. what you will be yeah. Does that, you, you what does it mean? That does it mean that once you know what you are bad at, you can afford to ignore it and say no to it? Is that the precursor? No. So I'll tell you what it translated for me. It translated that I need to give something up to uh, become and uh, good and or valuable to my customers. What was I? What did I start the business for? Which I told you in the beginning, right? I wanted to offer predictability, predictable quality, budget. most importantly timeline so i had in fact come up with this thing saying 45 days i will give you a home back to you otherwise i'll pay you rent for every day of delay that was my promise to the customer so i said 
if I have to be great at predictability, I need to pick what I want to be bad at. And what I needed to be bad at to be predictable was variety. Because variety was the enemy of predictability in my business. Or rather, variety was the enemy of scale also. When I'm saying enemy, I'm being a bit harsh, but you know what I'm getting. So, A, I started pruning down the services that we were offering. Flooring, no. Civil, no. We still don't do it. Eight years, eight years later, we still don't do civil and flooring and plumbing. We don't do. Because it's a very different skill. I said, I can't take the order. I will get the order also, but I'll never be able to execute it. So that needs to be, and that's not scalable. And I, would, I didn't want to do something in Jayanagar, Bangalore. I want to do something across the country. If I can do, can't do it, I don't want to do it at all. So that was the, so A, be clear of what you don't want to do. B, we came up with what we call a finite catalog philosophy, which is similar to what you'll see in the IKEAs of the world. Like Mr. Henry Ford said, I'll give you whatever color you want as long as it's black. We said, okay, that's a good place to start from. If the whole world offers 2000 color options of laminate, which you stick on the wood uh, when you get the finish, we said, I'll, I said, I'll offer 50 colors. I said, 50 colors is a lot. Why do people want 2000 colors? And 2000 colors is going to make my supply chain so complicated, my dependence on external suppliers so high that it's bound to fail. It is bound to fail. So I said, I will only have 50 colors. And for every color, I'll have minimum of two suppliers. Minimum. So my criteria for choosing a color is minimum two suppliers. So in a way, that 45 days became our North Star. And said, if I can't deliver anything in 45 days, I don't want to offer the service at all. So so, so to, to go back to your uh, Swan question, I know that's been a longish answer, but the, the point is... I really decide, had to decide if I had to say no to revenue or not. And being a startup and a funded startup as that, at, at that is not the easiest decision to make. But that is the tough call that we took. We said, we won't do certain things. And even in the things that we do, we will offer functionality and predictability far greater than variety and infinite customization. Infinite customization. I mean, you know, Go think about the uh, the court in the shape of a piano customization. No, not going to do that. And that became so. In other words, like 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 we were chatting earlier today, right? If you buy a modular kitchen from us, the modular kitchen basically is a set of boxes which are put together in your kitchen. We have three hundred shapes of boxes of the core shapes of boxes in the kitchen. Now, that can be assembled in any combination, which is almost infinite. But 301 shape, I will not give. And that is controlled completely on our platform. So that's the real hard call that we took, saying we will do what we otherwise call finite catalog or mass customization. We will do customization, but at a mass scale within a certain framework, which allows us to take advantage of the economies of scale. So... I can give you one more example of this, not in our industry, but some other industry who have been very good at this, being bad at something to be great at something. Indigo Airlines. Fantastic example, right? They started the last. Today, they are the clear market leaders. From day one, they've been very clear. They never ever have had a business class seat in their life. They said, you want business class? Go buy some other. I'm not giving you. 
they were also very very clear that the food that they serve in the flight is not based on how good it tastes or how bad it tastes it is based on how fast they can serve you and then take it back from you believe it or not even the packaging is thought through so much that why because they said we have to be great at one thing and that's getting from point a to point b on time better than anybody else in the industry so everything else comes around to turn around time and i ability. don't mind being bad at food i don't mind being you know even if you take the friendliness in the aircraft when you go in i'm i'm sure we've all used indigo we don't have a choice right 60 65% is indigo airlines they're not the friendliest crew that you will come across i mean if you just think about it uh, they are business like but that's the projection that they want you to have also they want because they don't want it to be over friendly ki i will do whatever you want don't worry you know no i have to get on time i will be they're not curt but they're kind of borderline uh, there i'm saying all this in a positive way because they're very clear that nothing else matters other than getting from point a to point b so it's a huge inspiration for um uh, somebody like us next time you go on an indigo flight also you notice when you go in the music that they play is far more calming and soothing when they land the the pace of the music quickens because they want you to get the hell out of there as as fast as possible because they want to turn around in 25 minutes compared to 45 minutes of the airline so that again was a big inspiration saying you know what you need to necessarily be bad at something they don't serve you coffee indigo airlines in a 30 minute flight every other airline you can cajole them to give you something uh, some coffee or tea these guys won't they say sorry i can give you water take it or leave it so they're clear that they will they'll be bad at something in the service of being great at being on time which is fantastic so and really it's the acceptance of this as an entrepreneur and as a company that it comes down to right i think we can all you know we all implicitly know that there are things that we are bad at yeah. that our organizations are bad at yeah. but it's the ability to accept that correct and to actually make it part of your culture and to own it so how correct. like how correct. did that happen at home lane so two two things right what you said and i'll just put it in a different way the first thing is to look at the mirror and say you can't be everything that your customer wants you to be you are which is hard in a country like india because really? there is this thing of the customer is always right yes, in some senses right yes he is but delivering to every customers every customized need is that is a fool's errand let's take your business i'll just take an example of your business there are multiple media formats that are there there are multiple um, um niches that are there that you can go after but you've chosen a niche of saying i'll be contemporary i will talk about uh, big businesses small businesses i will specialize in startups i will come up with news and uh, and something that's helpful and we will do only do one story a day you will do only one story a day now that is a statement because again you cannot be everything that everybody wants you to be it's very similar for us very similar for us customers would want everything from you but you have to decide what is it that you are going to stand for and hope like hell that the customers going to want to come to you for that and uh, thankfully for us it worked this is embracing your constraints and, and essentially making, making, it making, so, making it a strength so then then okay so so the second part uh, which of your question which i didn't answer was how did how could i 
do this across the org. Okay, today we are 2,200 people. That time we were some 200 people maybe. Even 200 people is a lot of people. How do you get them to see? Which is how this quantification of 45 days became very important for me. Because it became a number. See, I always say, good quality, great quality. It's English, right? Anybody, nobody is going to tell you they're going to, going to give you average quality. Everybody is going to tell you great quality. They'll give you on budget. Everybody will say, I'll give you on budget. Who's going to say, Acha, no, no, there will be a variance. Nobody's going to say it. The only thing where I could really thump the table and quantify was on timeline. Think about it, right? You can't quantify anything else. So that's when I said, in fact, I became a little over aggressive. The first three months, I said, 30 days or we pay you rent. And we paid a lot of rent. <laughs> but then I realized that it was not the 30 days or it was not the quantum that mattered. It was the predictability that was far more important than the quantum. You say 60 also, but you say 60 and give it in 60. So that's when we moved from 30 to 45 and we have stuck to 45. So for my entire team, it became a rallying cry saying that kuch bhi ho jaya, every project has to be delivered in 45 days or under. It was a simple North Star metric. I know that it's easier said than how are you going to deliver it? And that is a different... But there's a certain beauty to it because then when you tell people in the organization that these are the things that we will not do, they're able to draw a straight line from not doing it to, to being 45 days. Correct. So that became... I lost half my designers the first day I decided that I will go from 1,000 laminates to 50 laminates. 50% of them resigned. First day. I said, no. I'm... Reason being because... They said, a computer science engineer, he doesn't know what he's doing in interior design. Who's going to buy from you if you give 50 colors? Nobody will buy. I said, I'm going to offer 45 days. Nobody's offering 45 days today. I will offer 45 days. And I believe that my customer, my TG, will choose 45 days over 1000 colors. That was my bet, basically. And it worked. I mean, it still is working. What is it that you feel you add most value to Homelane as its CEO? <laughs> I don't know. I would like to believe that I like, I look at the mirror and uh, say the truth most of the time, which is a very important quality to have as an entrepreneur or as a, generally as a human being, but more as an entrepreneur. Because as entrepreneurs, we always, you know, <clears throat> drinking, smoking our own Kool-Aid, right? All the time. We think that, you know, um, uh, we are God's gift to mankind and stuff like that. So I think uh, looking at the mirror and looking at and, and seeing the truth and acting like that is important. Of course, storytelling is critical. You need to raise money. You have to uh, project the future uh, and you have to do it uh, in a way that uh, other people are convinced and are, you know, all of that all true. But at the same time, you also need to be a realist to to take the right decisions and uh, to do the right things. So I think that I have a reasonable dose of reality in me. Um, I also feel I am a better wartime general than a peacetime general. You know, I always say that there are many generals who are really good at peacetime and who are not so good at wartime and vice versa. I think I revel in situations of distress or of, of I don't know, um, of uh, things going really bad and uh, where you need to adversity. pivot. Adversity. Adversity. Um, 
the the example that I just mentioned, where we pretty much lost the plot and didn't know what to do and kind of pivoted towards this. Uh, I can talk about COVID again. It happened globally, of course, not only to us. But the fact that we managed not to have a single year of degrowth in a business which is consultative selling business like ours, where you have to meet people and sell, uh, we actually managed to become profitable during COVID, which is like unheard of in our industry, almost unheard of in our industry, I guess. Um, are all things which uh, which 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 probably uh, indicate that I'm a better wartime general than uh, so I think these two. Other than that, I think I pretty much am bad at everything else. <laughs> I'm going to use try and use one of the um, I think principles that you mentioned, which is try to think become an ancillary product to something which is much bigger in the context of homeland. And I want to tell you, I mean, obviously you've thought of it. Have you tried? Which is you're going to sell home customizations. What is the most obvious product to attach yourself to? It is a home. Who's building homes? It's real estate companies. So why not go and bundle your product? with a real estate company when they sell it who else sells homes well it's banks who are selling home loans why not go and bundle themselves in some are these things that you've tried has homelane tried to bundle itself with apartment sales or home loan disbursals so or am i wrong like you know i mean because i'm just trying to apply your right and partly analogy, wrong and i'll yeah. tell you where you're right i'll i'll finish the right first uh, so we do use uh, channels like uh, home loan selling um, the JLLs of the world, Anarox of the world, they're all our partners in not only giving us data, but also giving us leads as to uh, who the homeowners are so that we can go and sell there. And we have a revenue share agreement with them. So that's a, a simple alignment, of, alignment of them. We don't sell to builders because of a simple reason. Builders believe that they own the customer and so they should also own the margin, which we doesn't align with us. It actually aligns well because if my CAC is an X percentage, I am willing to share up to X percentage with the builder, but he wants 5X. Why? His product is 1 crore. My product is 7 lakhs, but he is making on that 1 crore some X lakhs of margin. I can't afford to pay that much of margin. So there is a misalignment over there in terms of the builder wanting a lot more for what he feels is parting with his customer, which, by the way, the customer is not so strong because, as you and I know, Rohan, in our country, most projects are delayed and they're handed over late to customers. By the time, the trust is not exactly at the highest by the time the uh, handover happens. In fact, it's actually at the lowest. So if the build-up suggests, if anything, the customer may not buy from the guy rather than... So we decided that we would go as an independent entity and pitch. And that's the reason why we don't sell to the builders. Switching tracks a bit, you're 2,200 people. You've obviously interviewed a lot of the people like that you've hired into home lane. Are there good open-ended questions that you have that you ask potential candidates to assess their thinking? Yes, I do. Could you share some of them with of us? Of course. Um, I like I like people also who like to look at not only their uh, strengths, uh, but who can at least recognize their weaknesses. So first thing I ask, not first thing, one of the things that I ask is, tell me something wrong that you've done in the last five years. Uh, if they can't think of anything for the first 30 seconds, 
देर इज अ प्रॉब्लम आई फील सो स्पॉन्टेनिटी नो बडी कुड प्रिडिक्ट समथिंग लाइक दिस आई ऑल्सो लाइक ऑन्सप्रनर्स टू हायर ऑन्सप्रनर्स राधर एस्पेशली फेल्ड वंस बिकॉज आई कैन टेल यू समथिंग नथिंग टीचेज यू मोर दैन फेलियर एज एन ऑन्सप्रनर नथिंग आई मीन द ह्यूमिलिटी द काइंड ऑफ फ्रुगैलिटी दोज काइंड ऑफ थिंग्स दैट इट टीचेज यू एज अ फेल्ड ऑन्सप्रनर नथिंग नो यूनिवर्सिटी नो एम बी ए नथिंग कैन टीच यू सो आई आस्क दैम वन क्वेश्चन इज देर एनी डेसीशन यू हैव टेकन इन योर लाइफ एनी डेसीशन वेर यू हैव बेसिकली taken a chance to swim against the current against the current and if so then i want to know what that decision is because that then then because i am not in this business to build godrej interior 2 with all due respect it's a fantastic global brand i have um, uh, i mean uh, uh, nothing against it i am here to disrupt the business if i have to disrupt then i need people to also think differently like what we did right we pivoted we said okay we are not going to do 80% of the stuff people first thought we were crazy but then it worked so you need people to start thinking with a fresh lens with a different view with a contrarian view sometimes and that will only happen if you have the ability to do it if you're going with the flow are aisa chal raha hai yaar i want to incrementally make it better i'm not interested in hiring thank god that in the in the evolution of a startup at some point in the early stages it's good not to have people who are insiders in the particular sector because it prevents them from applying the same patterns but as startups grow older then i think there is this line somewhere that you want people to have some of that experience so that you're not repeating the same mistakes that you don't necessarily need to but at the same time the flip side is that if you get experience then it limits their ability to break that mold so as an entrepreneur how do you think about finding that right mix of talent that has experience but also is not bound by it and can essentially be contrarian when the need comes to it i look at it in terms of functions if i am hiring for a purchase function i definitely want somebody who knows how to import from china or from vietnam or from wherever i'm importing from because without that i mean if he has to start from zero he can but he'll take like time to uh, like you said he'll make the same mistakes but at the same time i want someone in a function like design for example today i'll tell you one small example we all make wardrobes any wardrobe that you see have you ever seen the back side of any wardrobe any wardrobe in your house the back side it's 99.9% facing the wall you'll never see it for the lifetime i'm assuming therefore it is not quality wood or something like that is not it? quality wood no we offer two colors the same quality we don't that we don't compromise but we offer two colors of insides in the wardrobe only two colors we offer one is white and the other one is called cambric cambric is like you know something like this uh, like the uh, uh, gray kind of color with the checks and stuff like that there are only two colors so we used to get two skus from wherever we getting china or vietnam or whatever we used to get one white and one cambric right but the person who was in charge of design came up with a very innovative idea every sku we save we can save money why because for that sku now i am ordering 10000 pieces if i can order 20000 pieces then obviously i can bargain for he said sir the back side of that anyway nobody sees if the wardrobe is white then the inside has to be white then i 
I face, I take the same uh, laminate, I'm sorry, the same uh, ply, I put white on one side and cambric on one side. Instead of two SKUs, I automatically make it only one SKU. If the inside is cambric, I flip it. If the inside is white, I flip it the other way. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it was brilliant. And this could never have been thought by somebody who could not think out of the box or who would not be swimming against the tide, so to speak, because he would only think, how do I decrease the price? Now, can you give me for 20 cents lower, 30 cents lower? This guy just flipped it and I got a 30% discount because the volume went up 2x. So things like that is what I mean by saying, depending on the function, I would look for somebody to be um, disruptive uh, against somebody who needs to know the ropes. Are there a set of your favorite first principles when you're looking at large intractable problems or opportunities that you or your team hasn't encountered before and you don't have necessarily prior knowledge of how to go about it? How do you break down such things for your team or for yourself? So first of all, any solution that we start thinking about we need to keep in mind that need, needs, needs to be scalable. We are in 22 cities. We have 2,200 people doing various functions. Is this something that can be understood, replicated, and done for every customer across the country? So, In, if, a, in a way, you're starting by imposing the initial set of constraints. Yes, have to. Because I can solve a problem today in a Bangalore, uh, but if I can't do it in Lucknow, then, then I failed, right? I mean, then the, the customer experience is different. The the solution that I give is not consistent. And so then, then it be, we become like 50 small shops rather than one company. And that's not okay. So one, is, is this something which can be um, scaled across? So that's, that's the, uh, one thing that we see. Two, can we get an unfair advantage by having a technology-based solution for this? Everything cannot be solved by technology. Some things can. Um, so can I have some dose of technology which can come in, which can make my life uh, or my employees' life uh, simpler and my customers' life better? We try first to do that. If we can't, then we look for other alternatives. Third, Clearly, one of the, achha, by the way, we have six company values. One of them is frugality. We have, we wear it. We are very proud of it, actually. We are not, we are not shy of showing uh, or even. So is this something that is frugal? Because the simplest thing that can happen in a startup or the worst thing that can happen in a startup, especially funded startups, and I have no shame in saying this, is that you can throw money at every problem, thinking that it will get solved. In fact, sometimes it can only it can even multiply the size of the problem. It need, need not necessarily get solved. So, is this the most efficient way of getting the problem solved? Like the example I gave you of the two laminates is a frugality thing, right? I mean, I am thinking out of the box and I am helping my company save money. I'm not necessarily compromising on quality. It's the same exact same quality, but I am getting more uh, out of uh, the same uh, constraints that I have. So, um, some of these are the ones that uh, that we go through uh, as a as an organization. The last one is: is this going to, in any way, dilute the consumer experience? Meaning, um, again, to 
two more of our values as, as a company are trust and transparency we are in an we we are working in an area where customers come in with mistrust which means saying that are yaar mujhe to topi lagne wala hai isme because there's a lot of uh, uh, in, in information asymmetry between the buyer and the seller in this industry um so we want to build trust and tra- and that can only be that can only come through transparency so is there anything that will compromise any of those values which is customers should not understand anything less should not get fooled should not be misdirected in in their understanding etc so as long as these are uh, in place uh, uh, those would be some of the first principles that we think of or the framework that we think of before we go into any solution what are you paranoid about i'm paranoid about disappointing customers uh, i'm paranoid about you know being the same as uh, you know um, unorganized market experience even though we are from a large brand today we have delivered 30000 homes we are delivering 800 homes every month but every single customer that we disappoint i lose sleep i i feel we have failed as an organization um today i was telling you about the minus 27 nps today our nps is 67 as we speak which means about 76% of our customers have rated as 9 or 10 on 10 but 10% of our customers are still detractors which means that they rate us 6 or below which means that if i'm delivering 80 homes a day i'm failing 10 8 customers a day that's the way that i look at it and that is what i'm paranoid about more than anything else i mean from your responses like you've talked a lot about saying no to things knowing what you're bad at imposing constraints uh not disappointing customers i think a common recurring theme is like you talked about adversity being a war time this thing it's a lot of i think i mean for want of a better word adversity deprivation constraints bounds etc because i i get it because it is an execution driven heavy business is there a risk somehow that that like you know the other side of this mirror which is an abundance mentality and like looking at possibilities etc somehow suffers in the process do you think about it as an entrepreneur not in this business i used to think about it in my earlier business in edtech uh, but uh, i think we got through that with some of the examples that i gave you uh in this business i think the demand is not the issue the demand is the the execution is the issue and the, and the complexity of execution is the issue uh it's actually a very simple question that you have to answer do you want to grow at the expense of unhappy customers or not uh it's a very simple question to answer and uh, i i mean my my this one is i don't want if i could help it i would not want a single unhappy customer i mean it's a very altruistic uh i agree it's an altruistic notion but that's where we are trying to get to and if we need to do that we still can grow fast enough we still can grow fast enough so let me answer your question in a different way if there are two paths and one of them is giving me 100% growth year on year and is going to give me an npas of 20 and if there's another path which is going to give me 50% growth year on year or even 40% growth year on year with an npas of 70 i would gladly take the latter so i would pose this to you why what is the delta additional value that you get as a business from foregoing real revenue 
for i mean like if you take my argument nps being just a number uh what what as an entrepreneur wh- why are you giving up real revenue for nps how does it strategically benefit home lane eventually we are a consumer brand and uh, uh all said and done as any consumer brand word of mouth will catch up with you we don't deliver uh, 80000 uh, packages a day uh, we deliver uh, like i told you 40 homes a day uh, 800 homes a month right so word of mouth needs to be strong we are a consumer facing company our first allegiance and last allegiance is towards our customer obviously uh, we need to make money but we need to also serve our customer to the best of our ability knowing that i'm going to fail most of the time if i have to choose growth then it's on me that's the way that i look at it because and and in our business it's actually reasonably easy to 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 actually find out why you are um screwing up uh, sorry for pardon my french but uh, uh, it is easy uh, for that because the decisions you made in terms of execution are apparent and uh, that is you can easily trace the path and to me um in the medium term and i'm saying medium term in today's day and age i'm saying 3 4 years um stronger word of mouth and going on the better nps will give you far more dividends than the other the other one can give you in a short term maybe one two year kind of a time frame uh since you're fundamentally an execution iterative and execution driven business you're kind of doing more of the same thing but better over time it's must stand to reason that you have a fairly strong feedback collection process a retrospective process that once projects get over you come back how does that work because now you're operating across multiple cities or 50 different stores and like you know multiple cities right 22 cities um what is the process through which intelligence comes back and gets built into the organization and into its processes for improvement so at the highest level every customer rates us oh by the way our response rate is today 75% which means that out of 30000 customers that we have served cumulatively about 22 23000 customers have rated us which is a lot of customers even now out of the 800 about 600 rate us so i get direct feedback by the way this is direct digital feedback without any quote unquote influencing there's no pen and paper there's nobody who's going and standing there blue collared guy saying you know what i lose my job you know please fill this form kind of thing no this is direct feedback which comes so hopefully it has got less noise second me and my co-founder every week once review sales and the second the only other thing we review is customer feedback across the country only detractors where did we go wrong what is the rca that's root, root cause, cause analysis. analysis of why we went wrong and how can we eliminate this once and for all what is the change in process or what have we done i mean is it a human error what is it these are the only things that we do we've been now doing it for 8 year 8 and a half years it's not going to become perfect but every error we eliminate is one error less hopefully it won't come back uh, and we won't repeat it so that's really the uh, only way for me uh, to build this uh, execution business as a founder how do you allocate and prioritize your time on a weekly basis what does your calendar look like how planned is it how unplanned is it um 
I have a fantastic team, so I have the luxury of not being too operational. Other than these two reviews that I told you, the sales review and the customer's uh, feedback review, um, I don't have to do too many other reviews, a little bit of tech maybe, but uh, not too many on a weekly basis. I have the luxury of thinking about fundraising, uh, strategy, um, and most importantly, people. So I spend a lot of time, I do a lot of skip levels, 10 minutes one-on-one, but I do skip levels across the country, across cities, across functions, across um, um, age of their, uh, that they've spent with Homelane. Doesn't matter whether you spent six months or whether you spent six years. Um, Spend with them. Because that's the biggest threat of dilution of culture for me. We've grown from being 1,000 to 2,200 people in the last 18 months. That means more than half, more than half, because there's also a churn in that 1,000. So about two-thirds of my organization is less than 18 months old. How am I going to translate the way that I want the culture to be in an organization where there is two-thirds of new people? That's the biggest challenge that I have. And technology can help you a little bit there, but can't help you as much as you need. And especially in times of COVID, when you can't really travel so much and stuff like that. Now, of course, all that is out of the window. But that to me is what I spend maximum time on. Um, But otherwise, yeah, I'm blessed that I have a team which handles the day-to-day stuff much better than I can. What's your span of control? How many people do you have who report to you? Are there phrases inside Homelane that you're known for? Pet phrases that you typically utter during Everybody reviews? Everybody says that frugality is my only, only, <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing that I care about because I'm known to be tight-fisted, if you know what I mean. I don't think, okay, but I do believe that I it's my primary duty to spend money that I've raised far more carefully than I would spend my own money. If you want to ask my kids, I'm sure they will not tell you that I'm tight-fisted. I mean, uh, the fact that my younger son is in NYU proves that I'm not tight-fisted. Otherwise, I would have sent him to probably London or somewhere else, maybe slightly cheaper, but uh, I'm not. But I do believe that my fiduciary responsibility goes up 10x if I'm if I'm spending money that I've raised uh, on behalf of my company. Uh, and I take that responsibility very, very seriously. Um, so... That is something that I am uh, known for. Um, I I also like to get people to add a bit of humor and not take life too seriously. Otherwise, you know, otherwise I try and forcefully inject some humor in in everything that I either tell them or, or do a little bit just to lighten the mood. Otherwise, you know, otherwise it can become quite, uh, uh, it, it, it can bog you down. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm known for these two things mainly. You've raised money over your career and including at Homelane from lots of angel investors, venture investors, etc. Are there learnings from your failed pitches? Of course. I mean, uh, I've failed at least 100 times uh, before I have one success in terms of fundraise. So, uh, um, the learnings are Every fund, okay, I raise more from institutional investors than angel investors, so I'll stick probably to the institutional yeah. side. Every fund has a thesis, every fund has a life, every fund has 
their own age stage problems to solve and their own theses that has to be conformed with the more you know of that the more you can at least position of course truthfully to how you can fit into that theses into that age and stage uh, of their problem and you can also position your story far more strongly uh, with rather than going in blind that would be for me the biggest learning which is that that uh, do no homework is enough do more homework people think are nahi i'll go wing it i'll go pitch i know i'm a great guy i will know i will pitch obviously you're an entrepreneur you must be pitching really well but but knowing more uh about the person you're pitching to the fund the check size the agent stays that they write checks for uh have they funded any competition have they funded any similar businesses in other geographies um what uh, you know uh what all uh, this particular partner that you're meeting uh, he or she uh which are the companies that she he or she has backed um have there been anything similar to yours have there been only tech have there been anything which is like digital like our businesses on those are the ones that i mean you like i said you can't you must do that homework no no homework is good enough uh, that's one big learning for me um i also think that i'm still bad at pitching i still think that there's a lot to learn uh i still think i try and learn from others who do it so well i mean obviously from the all time greats like steve jobs and stuff like that but also from my contemporaries who do it so well uh and who seem to tell a story really well because i think going back to steve jobs this one there's no more powerful person on this earth than a storyteller so uh it is definitely the art of uh, saying that and combining it with the financials that make you a good seller so i'm always learning all the time i still think i have a long long way to go how would you rate your performance as a ceo on a scale of 1 to 10 6 just like how i got my 12th grade 60% <laughs> and as a parent 6 again i'm not i i'd say that my wife takes definitely better marks there if you were locked in a room for 24 hours without any internet what might you do uh tv no tv too <laughs> what what tv would you watch sports i mostly sports guy when you go out 6 out of 10 times is there a favorite dish or cuisine that you go for yeah i am a sucker for uh, you know typical south indian cuisine so tambram uh, is very close uh, but generally any south indian i really like all right on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy are you with life i think i have gotten far more than i ever thought i would in the last i this is my 30th year as an entrepreneur by the way uh far 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 more i mean i can't even i couldn't if somebody had told me this i would have slapped them and told them to go you know i told them you're smoking something or something like that so i'm satisfied a number on 1 to 10 yeah oh um i'm also ambitious so i'm 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 obviously not that satisfied uh, i always think i can do more i probably think uh, i would be 5 on 10 wow for someone <laughs> who's incredibly happy you decided to like you no, know no 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 i'm still uh. wanting to do more so ambition and happiness but are very different but you could be in the state of being incredibly happy and yet 
yes looking forward to as well right so Absolutely. on like that doesn't preclude you from being happy with where you are right now i am happy i'm super happy but you gave me a 5 no, on no, 10 no 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 because i still think i can ah, do more so i'm combining right. the happiness with uh, the ambition piece uh, right. because i still have i am still not done yet <laughs> all right um how do you spend your weekends i play tennis every day including the weekends in the morning uh, for an hour that's the only exercise that i get pretty much i take my dog out for a walk on sunday and uh, actually on monday today uh, to gavan park your dog's called rowdy my dog is rowdy yes uh, she's an indi and uh, she's the most spoiled child in the house um so i take her out for a walk for sure and um, yeah uh, i have some specific chores that i do i have to order breakfast on sunday for my mother which i do which is always from a tambaram place which she likes uh, so i have some standard boxes that i have to tick and uh, yeah otherwise i watch sports if i can uh, without my wife cribbing that she's missing her k dramas which she likes <laughs> yeah that's about it my last question which day of the week do you look forward to the most which morning of the week saturday because there is saturday and one more day uh, of uh, time that you get for yourself a little bit it's not like you don't work at all on saturday and sunday but it's a little bit lighter than the weekday so uh, look forward to saturday right thank you so much shrikant for speaking with us welcome rohin enjoyed myself thanks so much hello again it's rohin did you enjoy the episode i hope you did if you did please help us by rating us on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on it would mean the world to us and to me thank you for listening